It is so great to be sharing with you once again from the precious and unfailing word of the Lord. The privilege and honor are all mine. So now, we will be continuing with our series entitled Thrive. And what we've been doing for the first three messages is talking about how, especially in these times of chaos and layoffs and budget cuts and bailouts and intense spiritual conflict in homes and in families, in society at large. Yeah, we've been talking about how to truly thrive in such an environment. Let me tell you again, God doesn't just want you to survive. He wants you to thrive. But in order to thrive, you must, of course, first survive. And so far, I've given you two key principles that will ensure that you move on in your spiritual life and actually thrive. To review, these foundational pieces are the blessed assurance of your eternal salvation. That's number one. And we spent two messages there reassuring and then Secondly, thriving in the Spirit of God. Now I want to move on to installment number four in our series. Simply put, thrive through worship. With that theme in mind, let's hurry now to Psalm 103, verse 1, which reads, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Could we pause for prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of knowing you. Thank you that you have called us into your family. And thank you for the blessings that you've heaped upon us. Father, one of the greatest blessings of all is the ability to worship and the call that you've given us to come and worship you to bless the name of the Lord, to lift you up into the high place. And Father, that's our intention today. So as we gather around your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit will direct us, will lead us into all truth, and Scripture will open for us in a way that we've never maybe seen it before, and will give you the glory, the praise, yes, the worship, For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to read a portion of the fourth chapter of Matthew, starting at verse 8. And I want to talk about a a situation that Jesus finds himself in uh, before he ascends to the mountain and, and delivers for what we call, to us for what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been hearing some great messages on that. So I'll not get into that, but I want to just go back to Matthew chapter 4. And I'm starting to read at verse 8. And it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. The devil said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came 
and attended him. As I delve into this topic of worship, I feel led to ask a piercing question, and it is this. Does worship make a difference? And I'll even provide the answer. (laughs) Yes, indeed, it does. You see, a worshiping person is a different person. A worshiping home is a different home. And a worshiping church is a different church. And when you read the Word of God over and over and over again, one thing which will assuredly stand out to you is how much the Bible deals with this great subject of worship. In fact, the Bible says more about worship than it even does about prayer. It tells us who or whom to worship, worship the Lord only. It tells us how to worship with all that is in us. And it tells us when and where to worship, in the family of believers, in public, in private, in good times, in bad times, when you feel like it, and when you don't feel like it, and and maybe then more so than ever. The big question really is, what happens when genuine worship is rendered? I want to declare that without a shadow of a doubt, you will not survive nor thrive unless you learn to release the power of worship in your life. In thinking about how to thrive through worship, in order for us to understand what real worship is all about, allow me to offer these four stellar facts for fuller consideration. First fact is the focus of worship. Why? Because, to be honest with you, everyone is a worshiper. Let me repeat that. Everyone is a worshiper. All mankind is worshiping. Worshiping something or someone. And that prompts the further question. Who or whom or what are you worshiping? Who or what is the focus of your worship? In that Matthew 4 text that I read a few moments ago, and down in verse 10, Jesus said that we are to worship only the Lord God Almighty, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Lord thy God, he said. And hey, Psalm 34, verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Just think about that word, magnify. Let us exalt his name together. Magnify the Lord with me. You know, that's what worship does. It exalts the name of the Lord, and it magnifies the Lord. We need to be careful Oh, we need to be careful with our lives because we can magnify the world standards. We can magnify political situations of the day. 
We can magnify the economy up and down like a yo-yo. We can magnify the latest report from the doctor, good or bad. We can magnify even tensions in our personal lives, in the family, <clears throat> in the community, and in the world as we know it. But the Bible doesn't say to magnify any of these things. It says to magnify the Lord. Do you know how a magnifying glass works? I just happen to have one here, and I like it. I use it a lot, and this is I have a couple of them. This is my favorite. Well, that's right. You know how it works. If you focus a ray of sunlight through this glass and onto some dry paper or leaves, and, and I promise I'm not going to set anything on fire here today, but you can start a fire pretty quickly. And that's why so many people, just bringing that into the spiritual realm, so many churches, so many seniors, so many teens, so many millennials, so many other demographics, you name it, are not on fire today because they're magnifying the wrong things. A number of years ago, John Maxwell asked Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ and the author of the book, The Four Spiritual Laws, how he did all the things he did. He said that Bill Bright's response was this. Maxwell said, when things got tough, Bill said he just concentrated on the attributes of God. Wow. You know, since I read that comment and, and heard that story, I, I, I thought about it over and over again. And every time I think of it, it just seems to be a purifying action. It just seems to be something. I just said, what an answer. Think of it. God's omnipresence, God's omniscience, his omnipotence, his justice, his love, his, his unchangeable character, his grace, his forgiveness, his glory, his greatness his ability and his power and his eternal truth. Wow, what an answer, Bill Bright. Oh, what a great answer. Oh, beleaguered friend, that kind of thing will help you out too in these times that we're living in right now. There is chaos, and they are trying times. And it is difficult to kind of see through the, the, the cloud and, and, and get a clear picture. So let's praise. Let's worship. Hey, and let's magnify the Lord. For yes, worship makes a huge difference, a monumental difference. So that's the focus. Second, the forms of worship. And there are many, many forms of worship. Here are just a few samples. This list is not comprehensive or complete in any way. But I have listed a, a few for your consideration. One is a sincere outpouring of emotion. Another is crying. Another is laughing. Another is lying prostrate before God. 
Another is shouting. Another is hand clapping. And something called everyday living, whether it's working or driving or eating or doing whatever transactions need to be done or taking care of personal responsibilities, whatever it might be. And then there's also singing and joyful noise making and instrumentation of all kinds. And then there's one that's often forgotten or maybe even ignored, and that is serving. What a wonderful way to worship. You see, physical expressions of worship are found in a number of places in the Scriptures. To proclaim is found in Psalm 92, verses 1 through 3. To shout is found in several places, but I'm only going to give you a couple, Psalm 27, 6 and Psalm 66, 1. To bow down, that's found in Psalm 5, verse 7. And to lift your hands is found in Psalm 63 and verse 4. To clap your hands, found in Psalm 47, 1. And do you know that the Bible instructs that if believers fail to clap their hands in joy for the Lord, that the trees of the field will clap their hands. And this is to say, God will be worshipped and adored and exalted and magnified. Yes, he will. And then to sing Psalm 5.11 and 7.17, and there, the <clears throat> scriptures replete with other examples. <clears throat> and then to play instruments, Psalm 33.3. And Psalm 150, really the whole psalm, but verses 3, 4, and 5. And even to dance before the Lord, Psalm 149, verse 3. Now we find as we get into this a little further that there are at least six Hebrew words for praise. I'm going to share those with you quickly. First, yada, actually pronounced tada, the extended hand. That's what this word means. It means to throw out the hand. Therefore, to worship with extended hand, the psalmist declared this, Thus I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. That's pure heart, holy hands. The second Hebrew word is halal, H-A-L-A-L. That is the primary word for praise in Scripture. It is used no fewer than 165 times in the Old Testament. For instance... If you put that word halal plus Yahweh, you will get our word hallelujah. So that means praise the Lord. It means to shine. It means to show. It means to celebrate. And that's what we do. We celebrate the Lord. The third word is shabak, to address in a loud tone. Be careful here to address in a loud tone, to triumph, to exclaim, or giving a shout of praise to the Lord and a confession of praise for worthiness to God himself. And then the fourth word is barak, to kneel down, 
to bless God as an act of adoration. You know, in Scripture, it implies expecting to receive a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And then the fifth word from the Hebrew is zamar. And that means to touch the strings. This is all about instrumental worship. The musician in Psalm 150 is a perfect example of this type of praise. As a matter of fact, Psalm 150 is known as the musician's psalm. And then sixth and last is a word that we pronounce tehillah, T-E-H-I-L-L-A-H, and that means to sing or to laud a song of praise. And you know, this word appears 57 times in the Old Testament. Psalm 22 and verse 3 says, God is enthroned on the praises of Israel. Psalm 34 verse 1 says, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So not only the focus and the forms. But thirdly, let me confidently speak of the the, uh, forever piece of worship. We have the focus, we have the forms, and then we have the forever piece of worship. Because that's what we're going to be doing, my friends, forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. Amen, 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 and amen. Here's what we read. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. So, get used to it. Followers of Jesus, lovers of Christ, if you don't like action, get used to it. If, you know, you don't really, you don't really like holiness or you don't like that concept or you don't really take it all in, get used to it. If you don't like loudness, get used to it. If you don't like worship, get used to it. I want to read for you from the Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, Ah, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. 
praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and forever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who've come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Worship, praise, adoration, worship, worship, worship. There are going to be major changes made in that glorious day. The focus, the forms, the forever of worship. And now, the force of worship. So I'm posing the question again. Does worship make a difference? Well, it certainly made a difference for Joshua at the walls of Jericho. I invite you to read that exciting account in Joshua chapter 6. It made a rather huge difference for Job in all that he had gone through and in all that he suffered after, after being such a righteous man and living according to the precepts of God's instruction. And, and for Job in chapter 1, to, it says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle, mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said... Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Listen, blessed be the name of the Lord. And for Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20, who commandeered that fantastic military victory, listen, all through the power of worship and praise to God. What about David? I mean, over and over and over again, he found himself coming back to the place of dependence on praise and worship to bring him through. Bring him through so many of life's toughest battles. One of my lasting favorites would still be that saga of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. Acts 16 this is a text of my very first sermon I ever preached in public. I won't preach it to you, but I want to read a few verses from that chapter. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received this, these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, 
and the other prisoners were listening to them. You, you heard that right. Singing and praising God at midnight. Stay with the story. And then the miracle happened. Freedom. Salvation of an entire household. Baptisms. And glorious testimonies of new life in Christ. And we must not forget the experience which Jesus himself was faced with in that same Matthew chapter 4 account. That awful encounter with Satan and his evil intentions. But you can mark it well. Worship made the difference for Jesus. And it made the difference for every one of these precious souls recorded for us. And it made the difference for millions of blood-washed saints down through the ages. And it will make a difference for me and for you. We can count on it. We can know it. Yes, it will make a difference. With this in mind, friends, I want to share two more very, very key facts with you about worship, and, and, and I'll do it quickly. First, to worship is not a suggestion. It is a command and an expectation of Scripture. God is to be worshipped. Our praise is to go to Him. And secondly, it doesn't just happen. Listen, you have to, quote-unquote, set the table to be ready to truly worship. So ask yourself, am I ready to really and honestly set the table for worship? If you are, I praise God with you. If you're not there yet, I pray God will lead you to that place of submission, that place of understanding, that place of desire for God only, and that place of praise and then worship of the highest order. My friends, when you're at that place and you can honestly say, I'm ready to set the table in my life for worship, you can get set to thrive through worship. Keep on thriving. And let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the truths of your word. Thank you for the way that you just uh, unfold these many truths and bring them into our hearts and lives and minds and help us, Lord, to be uh, convicted and convinced and help us, Lord, to see that these are important times and these lives of ours are not just set here by happenstance, but you have a purpose for us and you have a, a will for us and you want to be worshiped. Heavenly Father, may our lives reflect and redound to that glory, the very glory of God Almighty. Oh, lift up your hands, lift up your heart, lift up your soul, and bless the Lord together. We thank you for all that you're doing in the lives 
of every person listening to this message. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.